Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Seacoast, and excited to be with you guys. also want to welcome all of our campuses, and you know, we do this uh, every weekend. Some of you, I thought, uh, maybe are relatively new to the church and are wondering, what's up with all the campus talk? And so I actually wanted to go through each of our campuses and specifically welcome them uh, this weekend. And, and so all of us will kind of know it's cool that, that we're a part of a church that's one church in many campuses. And so I want to welcome those of you that are here at the Long Point campus, both in this room in the worship center and in the, the chapel and the warehouse. We're glad that you guys are here. And then we have a campus in James Island. Uh, and Joey Svensson is a campus pastor in James Island, and he's a Celtics fan. So Joey, we're praying for you today and um, standing with you. Uh, Pastor Ron Hamilton at our West Campus. Uh, I want to welcome you guys. I want to welcome the Somerville Campus with Phil Strange and the Somerville Annex with Larry Mayo. Uh, we also have a campus in North Charleston with Pastor Sam Lesky. We're glad that you guys are here at the Dream Center. Uh, then if you go up the road to Manning, uh, Pastor Jim Fleming, we have a campus in Manning. So if you're vacationing to Manning this summer at all, you can go check them out. Uh, if not, we're glad you guys are here. And then we have a campus in Savannah as well with Pastor Doug McGarity. We have two campuses in Columbia. We have one, one that's our Columbia campus with Pastor Patrick Connolly. Uh, then we have an Irmo campus that's actually never been in Irmo from the time we started. I think it's eight years old, and it's never actually been located in Irmo. Uh, but we love you guys anyways. Pastor Pat Fiore, who snuck down here, was at the Long Point campus last night. Uh, then we have, if you keep going up 26, Greenville campus with Ross White. And then we have an Asheville campus with Pastor uh, Alex Johnson, and we've got Greensboro campus with uh, Pastor Brett Thompson. So we've got campuses everywhere. And uh, would you guys all join me? Let's just welcome everybody today. And uh, thank you for being a part of Seacoast. And didn't even mention the internet campus uh, with Seth, Seth Ferrier, and we've got people watching all around the world. So we are glad that you're here. And again, as I said, I'm, I'm humbled and excited about the opportunity to be with you this weekend. How many of you guys would agree with this statement? Uh, there's at least one area of my life right now that doesn't make complete sense to me going on right now. Anybody that I'm having a hard time making sense of? Okay, most of us in this room, uh, definitely those of you at the campuses agree with that statement. There's at least one area. And for some of you, it's like a strongly agree, you know, like all of my life doesn't make sense right now. And for some of us, maybe it's just a small area, something going on, something at work uh, that just isn't, you're having a hard time making sense of it. And the good news is that the Apostle Paul Agreed as well. In fact, we're in a series right now called Love Is, and we've been spending uh, the last several weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, in this chapter, the book is talking about, this part of the book is talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul kind of takes a break in chapter 13 to talk about love and what it means to love one another. And then he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Let's look at it uh, in the New Living Translation. It says this. He says, Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So we th see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Now, when you read that verse, some of you are like me, and you think about a mirror, right? I mean, you see the mirror, and when I look in the mirror, it's, it's puzzling oftentimes, uh, the reflection that I see, and some of you can relate to that. Uh, but here's the deal. When we think of a mirror in our, our day and time, what we see is what you get, right? I mean, whether you like it or not, it's clear. You see, if there's a zit on the nose, it's going to show up in the mirror. For the most part, if you get a decent mirror, you know, two or $3 mirror, you can, you can pull that off. Well, Paul wasn't referring to one of these. You know, so when you read that verse, it's not just that it's a puzzling reflection. He's referring to more like this. This is a piece of sheet metal. 
uh, that our facilities team kind of folded down for me. And this is more, more like what Paul would have been referring to back in their day. They didn't have the glass in the same way that we do. And so when I look in this, this piece of sheet metal, I can see sort of a, a, a vague resemblance of me. And if I get it real close, I can tell that it's me. Uh, and you may be able to see that on the front, front rows anyways. But you can, you can barely see kind of, you can make out some sort of reflection. You know something's there, but you're not really sure what it is. And that's what Paul's talking about. It's like when you get out of the shower in the morning, and if you had the door shut in your bathroom, and you get out of the shower, right, and you go to look in the mirror, maybe you're brushing your teeth or doing whatever you need to do, and it's all foggy. You know, the mirror's all foggy. You kind of wipe it off, and then the fog, like, reappears, and it can be kind of frustrating. Uh, and that's what Paul's saying. He's saying that even, even when the church is operating at its best, even these spiritual gifts, when the Lord shows up and the Holy Spirit shows up, we can't see all that's really going on. When we try to make sense of the things that are going on in our life, we can't really make sense of things of God because we, we see through a foggy mirror. I was thinking about that, and I, was, I remembered back to the very first video game that I ever played. And you guys remember the Atari system? Uh, it was really cool. You had like this, we have some <laughs> avid Atari fans here in the worship center at Long Point Campus. Let's pray for them. Uh, it, it was cool. But you, you had this joystick, and it had this wire that kind of connected the joystick back to the game system, and, and, and I loved it. We didn't have one in our home, but we had some friends that did, and so we went over there, and I can remember the very first time that I played Space Invaders. You guys remember Space Invaders? I've got a picture if you never played it. This, this was Space Invaders, and you had to kind of move that little guy on the bottom to shoot these guys, and in my like 10-year-old frame of mind, the graphics on this thing were incredible. I mean, look at that. Is that not amazing? Very, very cool. We'd spend hours playing these games. Well, I was looking on the internet this week, and I found uh, a, a, new, like a brand new game that's getting ready to come out this week. Let me show you the graphics of a new Star, Star Wars game that's coming. <laughs> Slightly different, right? I mean, I will never play that game because I, I've never actually even watched the movies. Some of you will not be able to hear a thing I say after this because of that. But look at the difference. This was the amazing technology of 1988, and then this is today. And I was thinking about that and thinking, if the current version of of Josh were to try to go back to that past version of Josh and say, hey, you're not going to believe the game systems that are coming out. I mean, if I try to explain the Xbox Connect to, to the old version of me to say, listen, you don't even have to use a remote control. It's HD. It's the internet. You can play with people all over the world. And you are your own remote control. So when you want to jump, you just jump. There's no, I mean, it's full body gaming. I would have been like, what, what are you talking about? I, I don't understand a thing. You know, I, I, would have, I would have a really hard time understanding. I have a frame of reference because I've seen Space Invaders, but I'd have no clue the detail and the depth of what they're talking about. And that's what Paul's talking about. Actually, it's not. I mean, he didn't re specifically refer to Atari, but he would have, I think, if he had one. And that's just 20 years of technology, right? So he's saying, hey, church, when you think about the things of God, w when you try to make sense of what's going on in your life and you try to make sense of your circumstances, it, it, we're looking through a foggy mirror. We're looking through a, a, a really messed up lens. Our perspective will always be messed up in the good things and in the bad things. I was listening to a pastor uh, recently, Pastor Craig Rochelle. He's a friend of Seacoast. And he, he had three statements about perspective that I thought were really good. I put them on your outline sheet. Let's look at them really quick. Uh, this is the truth about perspective. We all have a what and don't understand the why. We, we all have a what that's going on in our lives and we don't understand the why. Maybe you're here today and uh, 
you've passed the age that you thought, like as you kind of dreamed about life when you were growing up, you, you've already passed that age that you thought you'd be married by now. And you, and you haven't found your spouse, you haven't found a husband, you haven't found a wife, and, and that's a what for you. It doesn't mean it's a terrible thing, it doesn't mean it's a great thing, it's just that's what's going on and maybe you just don't understand why. God, why, why, why is this happening to me? Or maybe you are married uh, and that's your what. Why did I do this? <laughs> don't point, don't point. Uh, or, or maybe you would love to have kids, right? And that's, that's, I have so many friends, that that's the desire of their heart, but for whatever reason, that hasn't happened for you right now. And, and you have a longing for that and a desire for that, but, but you have not, for, for whatever reason, God has not allowed you to have children at this point. And that's the what for you, and you don't understand the why. Maybe you've launched your own business. You had a vision that God gave you and a dream that God gave you, and you went out on your own and you launched your own business. I was talking to somebody this week who did that. And, and at, the, at this point in reality, the business is failing and, and money is, it's just not turning out how you thought that it was going to. And, and that's the what for you and you don't understand the why. It may be a breakup, it may be a divorce of your parents, the sickness, foreclosure, whatever it is, we all have something going on that's a what that we don't understand the why. There's good news though and that's the second statement. God always has a why behind the what. God always has a why behind the what. Look at Isaiah 55, 9. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God does not waste pain. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He has a why. He's not the source of the bad things that happen in our lives. He's, he's not the source of all of the what's that we have, but, but he always will redeem them. He will always use them for good. And then the third statement is this. I don't have to understand the why to trust God in the what. I don't have to understand the why to trust God in the what. I can trust in the Lord with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding, not, not on the why or the, the questions being answered, and, and, and trust in him. He's trustworthy. So instead of trying to figure out the, the why, we ought to ask ourselves the question, what now? You know, all right, God, this is the what that's going on. What now? So what's the what for you? Is it a job loss or a financial disaster maybe or bad report from the doctor, a relationship that may be really important to you but right now it's, it just doesn't seem like it's going well? Maybe you've reached a dead end. Maybe you have a cat and it had kittens. I don't know what the, <laughs> the what is for you but all of us have, have some. And you may be thinking, you know, because in a room this size and with, with all of our campuses, there are some of us that are really relating to that and then there are some of us that actually Things are going really well for you right now, and that's a good thing. But even in the good things, Paul says we're looking through a glass as, as if it's a fogged up mirror, right? I mean, even in the good things, we don't understand all that's going on. I was talking to a, a buddy uh, this week, and he said, Josh, I understand where you're going, but man, I just got married like a week ago. Things are good for me. I wanted to tell him, just wait, but I didn't because <laughs> that's not the right way to think about things. But, but, but even in the good things, it's good to, to think about, uh, all right, God, even, why are you blessing me in this way? Or, or, or I know things are going well for me right now. Why? What am I supposed to do in that? How am I supposed to respond in that? So whether, whether you're in a great place or whether there are a lot of things that don't make sense to you, let's look at, at the scripture and, and try to figure out what to do with that when we're looking at life in, in a foggy mirror. You know, as I thought about that, I thought, who, who could we use to illustrate this, this uh, message. And I thought about a guy from the Old Testament named Joseph. And, and we're going to talk about the life of Joseph. We're going to pick up the story with Joseph in prison. 
And Joseph's a guy that had a vision. He had a dream. Most of you are probably familiar with some of the stories of Joseph. It's 13 chapters, by the way, in the Old Testament. So we're not going to hit on it in depth. But I want to talk to you about the life of Joseph. And as he sits here in this prison and see what we can learn about life when we're looking at it in a foggy mirror. The first thing is this. When I'm looking through a foggy mirror, it's hard to make sense of the pain from my past. It's hard to make sense of the pain from my past. Now remember Joseph, he's actually in a foreign prison uh, in, the middle of, in the middle of his life when we pick up the story. And, and in some cases, you can kind of predict uh, why certain people or certain um, situations may lend themselves to be more likely to be in prison. Joseph was not one of these guys. Joseph, in fact, sometimes there are father issues related to that. And, and I'm not saying everyone who has those ends up there, but there are some predictors that, that uh, can make it more likely. Joseph actually was the favorite child. He was one of 12 boys, and he was his dad's favorite. His dad gave him this coat of many colors that you guys have probably heard about. And when Joseph was about 17 years old, he had a dream, like a literal dream at night. And in this dream, uh, basically what God was trying to show him is that you're going to have a lot of influence. You're, you're gonna, I'm going to use you to lead well. And in his dream, his brothers, all of his brothers, and even his parents, ended up bowing down to him in the dream. Now, I have a brother and uh, I was 17 at one point. And, and if those of you that have siblings, if you have a dream as a 17-year-old kid, and in that dream, your siblings are bowing down before you, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? You go tell them, right? Of course you do, with enthusiasm. I, I would, if that were me, Jason, I got, come here, I got to tell you, great news. I had a dream last night. Why don't you help me illustrate it? Get on your knees and bow down before me. And, and so that's what Joseph does, right? He's 17. He's not uh, mature yet. He hadn't figured things out. And so he tells his brothers about this. And of course, they don't receive it very well. And in some cases, like physical rivalry or e even some altercations is, is normal with brothers. I had a couple of them with my brother. But his brothers were so mad about this and probably about him being the favorite that they end up, first they decided they wanted to kill him. Then they kind of thought better of it. And they end up selling Joseph into slavery. So Joseph becomes one of the first victims of human trafficking that, that we know of. He sells, the, the brothers sell him. They tell their dad that he died, that he, he was killed by a lion. And he gets trafficked across the border of Israel, or, or, or of the land that they were living in, and into Egypt. Uh, and so he doesn't speak the language. He ends up trafficked into this place. So terrible, terrible circumstance that goes on in his life. I imagine he had questions about that. But he ends up doing well in that environment. He ends up kind of finding favor, and he becomes uh, pretty, pretty, prominent guy in the house of a guy named Potiphar. And then this guy Potiphar, his wife, gets the hots for Joseph. And Joseph, unlike his father, his father was married to four different women. Uh, Joseph decided, no, I'm going to have integrity in this area of my life. And so he says, no, I'm not going to go there. And she tries to hook up with him. He backs away. She accuses him of rape. The Potiphar agrees with her and throws him in prison. So if you can imagine, I've just covered about four chapters of the Bible very, very quickly. But Joseph has these dreams he has this vision that God's going to use him in a mighty way. And fast forward a couple of years and he's in prison and he spends several years in this foreign prison cell. And I was thinking about that, trying to put myself in Joseph's shoes. If that's, who, if that's me, when I'm putting my head down at night on whatever they use for a pillow in Egyptian prisons, I've got to have questions for God. I've got to be going, God, why? I mean, I, you gave me a vision. This doesn't seem like it's making sense. It's not adding up for me. And I don't know about you, you're probably not in prison. I don't think we have any campuses in prison right now, but, but, but maybe you can relate to Joseph's story a little bit. 
Maybe you can relate to, to, maybe God's told you something. He's given you some kind of a dream. Maybe even someone, a close friend or a person in the church has spoken a prophetic word over you. Maybe said God's gonna use you or God's gonna do something great in your life. In today's circumstances, don't feel like they're leading you in that direction. When you even look at your past, maybe there's abuse that's happened in your past. Maybe there's betrayal that's happened in your past and it just doesn't seem like it makes sense. The past that you've had doesn't seem like it's taking you to the place that God has for you. What do you do in that? You know, what do you do when the promises of God don't seem possible in light of your current reality? I want to give you two prayers to think about. This isn't on your outline sheet, but you may want to write it down. As I look at Joseph's life, there's the first prayer is the presence prayer. The presence prayer. And it's, Lord, where are you in this? Look at Genesis 39, verse 21. Joseph's in prison now. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. The Lord was with Joseph. Will you circle that phrase in your outline sheet? What sustained Joseph in the hard times? In fact, if you look at any great leader of our faith or hero of our faith, what sustained them? All of them had hard times, and we know that's truth. Jesus said all of us are going to experience trouble. What sustains us through it? Is it the circumstances changing? Is it, you know, maybe a financial windfall or some breakthrough in their lives? No. In Joseph's life, what, exp- what sustained him through the difficult times was the presence of God. See, most of us pray for the circumstances to change. You know, we want a happily ever after kind of a story. But you know what's stronger than even a happily ever after prayer is a God be with me prayer. A, a, a God with us prayer. Look at De- Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. Why would I be afraid or terrified? Because they were getting ready to go through some difficult things. Then it says, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So in your pain, pray for God's presence. I think about, there's a song that we've been singing here that Brandon uh, Lake and Martin Chalk wrote called, and in it it talks about, Lord, you are with me when the waters rise. I think about Psalms 23 where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. We gotta pray, look for God. God, where are you in this? I wanna sense your presence in my pain. The second prayer is the growth prayer. And that's, Lord, how do you want me to grow through this? How do you want me to grow through this? See, the truth is, if you're hurting, you're growing. And there's some aspects of our faith and some aspects of our growth in life that can only happen through pain. Some maturing only happens through pain. So we go, God, okay, I'm gonna trust you with the why. And now I'm gonna ask you, now what? How do you want me to grow through this? What do you want me to do with the circumstance that you've allowed to happen to me? Who do you want me to reach as a result of this pain? So God, I'm gonna choose to allow the pain in my life to become a pulpit for me to to show people who you are, show people what you're doing in my life. Maybe the test that you're walking through right now is the testimony that God wants you to share down the road, that God wants you to to talk about his faithfulness. So so to ask God, what do you want me to do with this pain? How am I gonna grow? So where are you and what do you want me to do with it? So the first thing we can learn when we're looking at a foggy mirror is, is that Sometimes it's difficult to make sense of the pain from our past. A second thought from the life of Joseph is that it can be hard to make sense of the problems of my present. It can be hard to make sense of the problems of my present. Now I'm gonna fast forward several years. Joseph finally gets out of prison. How does he get out? Ironically, it's the same thing that got him in trouble in the first place. He has this kind of thing with dreams. 
Remember, he had that dream and his brothers got angry with him. Well, in prison, he meets some friends and he interprets some dreams. And uh, one of the guys that he interprets a dream for gets killed. Uh, the other guy gets out of prison and then never, never remembers Joseph again. And then Joseph has a situation where the Pharaoh, the, the, the head honcho of Egypt, has this disturbing dream. And he comes to Joseph and he says, I heard you could interpret dreams. What do you want me to do with this? I'm thinking if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking dreams have not worked real well for me, God, in the past. Got me sold into slavery. Uh, it, it didn't work well. The one guy got killed. I've been in prison. Do you really want me to do this? But God kind of redeems this deal. And Joseph interprets a dream and he gets him out of prison. And essentially what happens is Joseph becomes the Dave Ramsey of that generation of, of Egypt. So the dream was related to Basically, what God was trying to tell Pharaoh was that for the next seven years, you're going to have some really good times. I mean, there's going to be rain. The land's going to do well for you. It's going to be a time of prosperity. And following that, those seven years, there's going to be a, a, another seven years that's going to be very difficult. It's going to be drought. It's going to be famine. And so Joseph goes, hey, here's an idea. Why don't, while we have these seven years of, of plenty, let's save some stuff. So they saved about one-fifth of everything, and that would sustain them through the seven years of famine. It's a pretty novel concept, you know, of kind of saving. And so Joseph becomes very, very trusted, well-known. Again, we're fast-forwarding through this story. He's the number two guy in Egypt. Pharaoh trusts him with everything. Well, the famine actually happens, and Joseph's family back home uh, starts to suffer because of this famine. And so his dad, Jacob, says, all right, brothers, you need to go to Egypt because we've heard they're doing really well through this. Again, they think Joseph's dead, Go there, see if you can buy some food. And they encounter Joseph. They don't know that it's Joseph, but Joseph knows that it's them. And so he wants to meet his little brother, Benjamin, who didn't, go, didn't make that trip with him. And so he sends them back home. I know we're tracking through a lot of stuff here. He sends them back home, and this is what I want you to see. They come home, these brothers, and, and Joseph keeps one of them in prison because he wants to make sure that they come back. And so they come back to their dad, Jacob, and say, hey, we need to take Benjamin back to Egypt. So from Jacob's standpoint, he's lost Joseph, his favorite son's been killed. Now another one of his sons is stuck in prison in Egypt until they come back and bring Benjamin, another one of his sons, who he's probably going to lose to. And here's what he says about that. Here's what he says in uh, Genesis 42, 36. Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone, Simeon is gone, and now you want to take Benjamin too? everything is going against me. Think about that phrase, everything is going against me. See, the truth is Jacob was not very good at interpreting his own circumstances, and neither are we. In fact, we might be the worst interpreters of our own circumstances. What do I mean by that? See, what Jacob did not know is that he was on the precipice of the biggest breakthrough of his life. God was getting ready to open up some doors and change things for him that, that he, he could never have known. The bad news that he was, get, he was receiving, that, that, hey, Benjamin's got to go back, that was actually going to be the ticket to a breakthrough for them. God was going to rescue them from the famine. He was going to reunite him with his son, Joseph. And, and while he's looking at his life and going, man, everything's going wrong. Everything's going against me. He was dead wrong about his circumstances. Have you ever considered that the bad news that you got recently may not actually be bad news? It may be a setup for a breakthrough, for God to come through in your life? Don't be so quick to label bad news, bad news, and good news, good news, because we have a hard time making sense of the problems of our present. See, we're looking through the sheet metal. We're looking through a foggy mirror. We don't see the whole picture. 
In fact, God, if he's an artist, he's painting on a canvas that's as big as the universe. It has no beginning and no end, and all we see is a very limited perspective. And so what we see may look dark, but you never know what's right around the corner. So when we're looking through a foggy mirror, it can be hard to make sense of the pain from our past. It can be hard to make sense of the current problems. And the most important and best news is this one. Because I'm looking through a foggy mirror, I should be completely confident in God's plan for my future. I should be completely confident in God's plan for my future. See, like I said, what Jacob didn't realize is that while everything's going against him, God was planning a major breakthrough, not only for his family, but for the entire nation of Israel. So he sends his kids back eventually, does the right thing, mainly because the famine is so bad that he'll do whatever it takes to get food for his family. And, and through a series of events, Joseph, in kind of this dramatic fashion, reveals himself to his brothers. And in this moment, uh, here's what he says, looking back on all of his life, here's what he says. He says, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. Isn't that amazing for Joseph to have that perspective? I mean, they sold him for about 300 bucks. And he looks back and he says, you know what? No, God had a plan in all of this. And God has a plan right now. And God has a plan for our future. And the only way for that to happen was for this to happen. And we don't always get the story kind of tied up with a, a nice bow on it at the end. We can look at Joseph's life and have some perspective, but we don't always see. I don't know what, what, what the circumstances are going to do in your life, but hopefully all of us can get to the point where we can look back on our lives like Joseph did and say, you know what? What man intended for evil, God intended for good. And, and, and the pain that I've gone through and the current challenges that I've got, God will work them together into his plan for my life. I was thinking about this story. And, and I remembered uh, when our family moved to Charleston. It was about 25 years ago. And my dad, who's our senior pastor, Greg Surratt, uh, had a dream and he had a vision for his life. And he felt like God was calling him to move to Charleston to plant a church, to be a life-giving church, to help people, connect people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so we moved down here. And I was about seven years old at the time. And uh, I hated him for it because he took me away from everything that was comfortable for me and moved me here. And within about three uh, months of moving to Charleston, our family was involved in a, a horrific car accident on I-26. Uh, our van that we were in, all of our family, we have four siblings and then my parents and then my grandparents, my dad's mom and dad, were in the car as well. And we got rear-ended by a Mack truck that was going about 50 miles an hour uh, and just devastated our family. I, was, I, I can remember they pulled me out of the car and I was, laid me down on the highway. I was fine. I was one of the only ones in the family that didn't get injured. And my brother was laying about 10 feet away from me lifeless, not moving. Uh, and I had asked my dad, what's going on with Jason? And he said, Jason's gone. We need to focus on the people that aren't. Uh, and it turned out he wasn't. He was in a coma for a week. My sister, uh, Jessica, had to be resuscitated and just devastating injuries to her. Uh, my grandfather broke his back and his neck, uh, several ribs, and just a, a terrible, terrible moment for our family. And I can remember just watching mom and dad wrestle through, God, why? You know, I thought you called us here for this purpose. I thought you called us here to plant a church and then you're going to let this happen? Well, if you fast forward a couple of years, uh, my dad's mom uh, at the age of 54 died about a year and a half later uh, of cancer. She was 54 years old. She was kind of the bedrock for our family and just really foundational. And then about nine months to a year after that, uh, we had another accident in our family here. My sister, the one that nearly died in the car accident, was in a boating accident. And uh, she was in the ICU 
for three weeks. And the doctors had told my parents, I went back and read my mom's journal uh, a couple of months ago, and, and they had told her she's not going to make it. And so I can remember so many times in those couple of years that things just didn't make sense to me as a kid. I remember my third grade year uh, of, of elementary school, I cried every single day for the first three months of school. I just was a basket case because my brother was you know, home recovering from this coma and, and things just didn't make sense. I watched my parents uh, you know, just wrestle with God and wrestle with this thing. And I can remember any time my parents would get in a car to go somewhere and leave us with either a babysitter or leave us at school, I would just have this vision of this car accident. I would think about the, the worst case scenario, what's going to happen. And just life was a mess for us. We didn't have many friends. This vision that God had given, my dad was reaching about 200 people. You know, it didn't seem like it was, I mean, not that that's a bad thing at all, but at the time, it just didn't seem like it was going where he thought it was going to go. And of course, we can fast forward and we can look around at what God's doing at Seacoast and, and make some sense of what God might have been doing. But even now, I know I still have questions. I still look forward to one day in heaven being able to go, God, why, why did you do it this way? But here's what I can say without a shadow of a doubt, is that my family had to walk through some really difficult circumstances and some really tough times. And in that, God was preparing us. He was growing us. You know, there were some things that we, we weren't going to be able to handle the harvest that God brought in if, if he didn't grow character during those times of difficulty. You know, there were things that he was setting us up for. And that I, there, there's never a day that we walk into a hospital room where we can't have some empathy and some sympathy and understanding for what a family's going through when they're going through tough times. And I know that God has prepared our family for this in those difficult times. I also know this. I think that we've just gotten started. I don't think that that vision that God gave Greg has actually happened yet. I think we've seen, we've tasted a little bit of it, but I think we're still looking through a foggy mirror. And I think he still wants to do some incredible things in the future, not only in this church, but in each of our lives. So I don't know what you're walking through right now, but I believe that the circumstances that you're going through right now might be a setup for your future. You know, maybe the, the marriage problems of today are going to be testimonies of God's faithfulness to the next generation. Maybe the financial hardships that you're walking through right now and that many of us have walked through in this tough economy are going to be testimonies of God's grace that you're going to be able to pass on to generation after generation and go, look what God did and look how God sustained us through that difficult time. And I believe that God's going to do incredibly more than we can ask or imagine. Why do I believe that? Because of this promise that he leaves us. The last verse on your outline sheet, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Their plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Their plans to give you a hope and a future. So when, when life doesn't make sense, when we're looking through a foggy mirror, let me just encourage you, you can be confident. You can trust in a holy God who has plans for your future, has plans for the future of this church and the future of your family. And put your trust in him, not in your circumstances. Will you guys join me in praying as we close? God, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for uh, what you're doing in, in this place. God, I thank you, Lord, for the fact that there are many of us in this room, not only at, at the Long Point campus, but in all of our campuses, God, who you have chosen to entrust us with some tough circumstances right now. Lord, you've chosen to entrust us with pain. And God, for those of us that are in a tough place, maybe life has just dealt us some pretty severe punches. God, I don't in any way want to make light or trivialize what many of us are going through. But Lord, I do pray, Lord, that you would just help us to see and sense your presence in our lives. Lord, help us to, 
to move past the why and to move into a posture of saying, God, now what? How do you want to use this in my life? How do you want to use this circumstance to grow me, to shape character? Lord, we're open to anything. We trust you. You're a mighty God. You're a faithful God. Lord, and you have done incredible things in our past. And Lord, I believe you're going to do incredible things in our future. Lord, we thank you for that. God, I pray for those of us that are here today that when we talk about your presence, Lord, we, we don't really understand that because we've never made a commitment to you. We've never experienced the love of a father who just cares about us so much that he gave his only son to die for us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that people would come to know you through your son, maybe as a result of the pain that you've allowed them to experience. But God, we trust you. We just ask you to uh, fill this place in this next few minutes with your presence, Lord, as we worship you in Jesus' name, amen, amen.